welcome to episode 398 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with a fantastic guest on this Saturday. Welcome to the show. Noam, Noam, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It is my absolute pleasure. 398 episodes is a lot. I it appreciate is. that. It is. Yeah, I've been doing this for, uh, this is my seventh year on this podcast. I did 398 for the uh, Uriah Heap, the Magicians podcast as well, that just wrapped uh, last year. And uh, then all, you know, the guest spots and everything else. I I don't even know how many podcasts I've been on at this point, but it's fun. I, I love doing it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I really appreciate uh, you having me on and yeah, my pleasure. Podcast, so. Well, you guys have your YouTube channel that uh, you, you're got a, a quite a growing list of videos. It's a it's a little time consuming. It's a little bit of work, but at the end of the day, it's it's kind of fun, right? Yeah, I've been I've been really kind of honing in into um, creating more and more quality content mm-hmm. uh, our YouTube channel. And as you said, like it's it's a lot of uh, hard work, but it's also a lot of fun, and and I feel like that's something that really kind of resonates with a lot of people. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's also a way to sort of, in my perspective, kind of share the journey that I go through with all these crazy, you know, um, adventures of, of plug and creation <laughs> and meeting people and stuff. So it's been kind of great. Well, I think YouTube has become kind of our, our go-to. It's like a video Google you know, you you Google certain things and you YouTube other things. It's really started to dominate our world. Yeah, a friend of mine, it's an interesting perspective. Like a friend of mine, I had a uh, conversation with someone who said um, that YouTube is his version of what we used to do on, you know, just television, where you you turn on the television, you don't really know what you, you're going to watch. And, you know, sometimes a show you like, goes on and and you watch that so it it's crazy to think that like you know youtube has replaced our television yeah experience but it's true i mean it's kind of like youtube is is the new tv and like netflix and disney plus and all these uh platforms are our version of the cinema now oh yeah you're right and you know i i grew up when there was three channels on the main TV, and then you had your your UHF dial, which was like the 58 or however many it was, and uh, that always came in grainy, if you were lucky. Yeah. And uh, I, I think about how much things have evolved since then, and to just be able to, you know, even, even before VHS, thinking about, you know, you were lucky if a movie came on television, and then you had the commercial interruptions, or things were censored, and now you can just, you know, binge an entire season of something the day it comes out on Netflix. It's so different. I remember, like, you said that, and then I, I had the same experience. I was growing up with with a VHF uh, thing, and and I remember my my mom looked at it in a different perspective in an older generation, and, and she used to say, like, this is, like, amazing technology, because back in when she was growing up, she said that like she used to uh, grow up in a she she grew up in a small town. So she said that like once a month they would screen, uh, you know, a movie and it would be just like <clears throat> the same movie over and over again, because that was the one that they had like the license right. to. Or yeah. So, 
It's nuts. And, you know, I, I think about the old days, you know, even going back to the 90s when you had to wait a whole week to find out what happened on the next episode. And now you're like, I'm just right. going to get a snack and run to the bathroom <laughs> and then we'll start the next one. Not to mention going to Blockbuster and oh, know, yeah. <laughs> picking, picking a, a movie and then finding out it's kind of there's like a minute in the middle where it's not really working and, <laughs> right. and having to rewind it before you took it back or they'd charge you for it and yeah. you know i i a couple of years ago i interviewed uh, ted neely who was in jesus christ superstar and, and i was telling him that back in the day uh it only showed that movie on on television at 4 a.m on easter sunday that was literally the only time you could watch it and this was before vhs so right. we would, you know, we would try and go to bed early. And of course, we're all excited. And then we're sitting there in front of the TV like this, just trying to keep our eyes open. And, you know, uh, as soon as VHS came out and we got our first VCR, the very first movie we bought was Jesus Christ Superstar. So that we, you know, we could watch it whenever the hell we wanted. <laughs> That's crazy. It's it's different. But now we, we really live in a world of instant gratification. And I think about one of the reasons that I, I wanted to talk to you is because I know a lot of people these days, they understand a little bit more about how music is made. They might understand a little bit more about home studios because they've been more common. But I think what people don't really know about are all the people that help composers do the things that we do or audio engineers or producers. And you right. guys make us these amazing products that allow us to do what we do very easily. Now, Thank I've you. been an audio engineer for over 30 years. And if there's one thing I hate, it's audio engineering. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's something that can make my life easier, I am all about it. And I've got a thousand plugins easily in, in right. my, you know, on my computer. But when right. I found you guys, um, First of all, the the thing that attracted me was obviously the visual component of your of your effects because they're you have these beautiful pictures that are really interesting and and almost I forget I'm working because I'm trying to you know really like learn what you've got on the picture. So why don't right. we start there? Why don't why don't we uh, talk about how you came up with the idea or how your your company came up with the idea of doing these really amazing looking interfaces? Sure. Yeah. I mean. Um, the whole Safari pedals thing started really recently in, in honesty. I mean, um, we started the, the company, uh, a year ago wow. or almost a year ago, 11 months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and similar to what you said, I mean, I've been an audio engineer for, for uh, 20 years doing, um, mostly mixing and mastering and. I have every single plugin on the planet. <laughs> um, so I really know kind of, you know, the, the what's out there. Um, and my, my initial idea was a combination of things. So first of all, I wanted like something that um, would be inspiring for creators and also for engineers, but like inspiring in the sense that I have this thing where I feel like there's a misrepresentation of um, like tools for for audio engineers and for producers because um, everything looks so kind of professional. Um, and I, I mean, that might sound like a dumb statement, but everything's very kind of um, 
black and white. The the words are usually very professional terms or like trying to be the revolutionary whatever next thing. And I feel like that made sense at a certain point of time. But like now, like why do we actually have a hundred different tools in our toolbox that do something similar? Mm-hmm. And I think when you like sort of soul search the answer in yourself, or at least I did, I think the answer was uh, because I'm looking for inspiration and I'm looking for uh, different ways of doing things. So I don't repeat myself and I find more ways to kind of, um, you know, uh, treat my customers or my clients as uh, as a mixing engineer with things that suit whatever the music they're doing. Right. Um, and music is is an art, right? It's not, it's not, I mean, there is science behind it, but it it's an art form, obviously. So why do all our tools look so kind of bland? Um, and that, that was like my first thought when, when starting Safari Pedals. And I'm a very visual person. So I was kind of like thinking about it and looking around uh, different kind of ideas and stuff. And then I noticed, um, you know, that I, I noticed that like all the, the or um, uh, most of the car pedal designs are super crazy. They're like mm-hmm. super out there. There's like all these crazy designs with crazy names, like the, like, like a distortion called Wild Thing and all these kind of. <laughs> right (laughs) funny analogies um and i have a really really big guitar pedal collection even though i don't really play guitar and and that also struck me as this thing where i was trying to figure out myself like why do i have this collection and then it kind of hit me that you know the, the the guitar pedal world has a much better in my opinion um kind of way of designing things to to make them inspiring in terms of the visuals right i thought about like man if i can just take that and put that in a plugin format i mean it's not inventing anything because there were many different uh guitar pedals in a plugin format before safari but there was never like a really kind of boutique approach to it it's it was yeah. usually big companies doing that as well mm-hmm. um and again if you look at, if you compare that to like the guitar pedal industry all these like super inspiring crazy designs of of little companies that do their own thing with guitar pedals and they're always super wild and and crazy so i got inspired by that and i just decided to jump in and, and create my own plugin company that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but I'm a sucker for it. If you put a panda on a guitar pedal, I don't play guitar, but I'm going to want it. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's but, inspiring and yeah. it, it makes you feel a certain way. And it's supposed to, what we do is supposed to be fun. You know, so yeah. you're right. When, when you say that, like I th- the first thing that, that came to my mind when you were talking about, you know, why do things have to look so professional? I'm picturing the the CLA compressor. It is the most boring looking thing that I spend a ridiculous amount of time staring at, you know, right. and uh, and you're right. Yeah, if that had some little clowns on it or something, it'd be way more enjoyable. 
And I think it's like a um, two-sided coin, right? Because like you want to feel that you trust whatever the tools you're using to be, you know, reliant and to sound good. And that's like, yes, it, it could be like super fun and, and quirky and weird. But at the same time, you want, if it's a car analogy, you want the engine to run smoothly and you want to go from A to B. Right. So I feel like a lot of times I might be losing some uh, customers that look at it and say like, oh, it's just a toy um, <clears throat> or it's probably not going to get, you know, the sounds that I want and they don't even give it a chance. Yeah. But um, underneath the hood, it's the same components. It's not, I'm not, you know, uh, it, it's hard to compare between, you know, a million different <laughs> types of uh, plugins, sure. but they sound good and they have good technology in them. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think the reason, just wanted to say like one more point on this, like that the reason in my mind that like the whole industry is very kind of leaning towards the technology side and towards like the professionalism thing is based on our history. I mean, recorded music is not a very um, long part of of history if you look at it in perspective it's been around for what like 90 years that's nothing right yeah. um, and in the early days you know if you think about uh, audio engineers i don't know like in the 40s or 50s they're all wearing white robes and <laughs> are very scientific right like doctors almost yeah and i think i think that's where it came from i think that's where like the tools were meant for those people. But nowadays, right, yeah. like when you say audio engineer, let's be honest here, like we're not, we're not engineers at, similar to mechanical engineer. Oh, right. Yeah. That knows a lot about mechanics. Like I don't really know a lot about electronics, which is basically what my outboard gear and everything is. Right. So. Yeah. Well, it's, I would say that clinical is the way a lot of the gear looks for an audio engineer. You know, right. um, it, it might have a red stripe on it and that's about the most excitement you can hope for. <laughs> you know, it's really geared right. more towards the functionality, but I think it, I, I wonder, do people look at Safari pedals and think of them as just guitar oriented pedals? Because I'm actually using the Flamingo Reverb on my drum bus for my band's current album that we're writing. And right. it sounds fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's, thank you. And and that's that's the whole point. The point for me was to kind of break the barriers and, and uh, make tools that look like guitar pedals, but are actually perfect for any instrument in the mixing process. Um, so that was where I came, like how I looked at it. But um, people do get confused. And I do, I also get like these funny comments saying like, you shouldn't make these as pedals. You shouldn't call this pedals. It's not, it's not a pedal. And, you know, I, I don't know. People have weird conceptions about what's right and wrong. And yeah, I try I, I, and answer everyone with like a, a grin of, of uh, humor and say like, um, no. Yeah. Uh, just have fun, you know. 
Don't. It's it, you know, no matter what you get, what you do, you're going to have people that are happy, and you're going to have people that are unhappy. And the people that are unhappy are usually the first ones to let you know how they feel. The people that are happy are usually like they'll just be like, "Cool, man," and you know, maybe they'll like like more of your posts or something. But yeah. there's a there's a weird interaction as I found in podcasting. Um, there's a, a really weird dynamic that the people are more apt to just tell you they're unhappy. And people will tell you they're happy when it's too late. Right, right, it's a right. Really right. weird thing. But yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm curious. How do you do? You have a strategy, or does it just kind of come to you what you name each one? Because like, I, I don't think I've ever associated reverb with a flamingo before. It's so, okay. it's such a wild connection. That's a good question. I think um, this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to be. Hundred percent honest and real. And okay. Um, most of the ideas come from my uh, two kids. I have two young um, uh, boys. One is uh, four, and the other one is turning six soon. And um, I try and and keep them in the loop of everything. To be honest, like I love having conversations with them. Sure. And the name Safari uh, came from my older son and he was like i i told him i want to open a company and, and this is what i wanted to and obviously he didn't 100 percent understand what i was explaining but he was like dad you should call it safari and every product should be a name of a uh, of an animal and at first i was like that's so cute and that's <laughs> definitely not gonna happen but then i thought about it like another you know few days and i was like Actually, that's a, like a really cool idea. Like, yeah. there's endless amount of animals, and there's like a lot of uh, kind of things that I was thinking about that relate to that in some odd way. Where like, be a studio animal and express yourself, and be mm -hmm. wild and be free, and all these things, and it, it kind of just matched perfectly what I was trying to <clears throat> to put put out, and um, that was his idea. And then the flamingo as well. Um, Flamingo was a hundred percent Adam's idea, which is my uh, my older son's name. He was like, um, I, I was trying to explain to him what a reverb is, and he didn't really have a patience. And he was like, "Just call it flamingo. Everybody likes flamingos." And I'm like, "Dude, that's <laughs> so true." He's um, like your so magic I'm eight gonna... ball. You just shake him, and the brilliance comes out. Yeah, yeah. And, and talk about a, a marketing dream. I mean, it's it's you've got so much to play with from a marketing standpoint. You know, obviously the the vibrant colors are are the first thing that's going to catch people's eyes. And I hate that I'm a sucker for that, but I am. I'll, I'll fully admit that. Um, yeah. But the but when you get into them, the the most beautiful thing about them is that the quality's there. You know, yeah. it's it's so easy to work with the flamingo reverb, for example. It's the the just out of the box. It's perfect. But you can just make subtle changes that take a second to make. And yeah. it's it's just, it's one of the nicest and smoothest reverbs I've ever worked with. Thank you. That's amazing you said that. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And I, I think that also like relates to a whole different topic where um, because, you know, I'm a I'm a mixing engineer first and I've been doing it for so many years. 
I kind of knew what I wanted it to sound like. Um, and it, it, it's, I think it's um, a, another misconception in the audio world where like people maybe don't know this, but like most of the plugin companies or a lot of the plugin companies start from a developing uh, approach, which is like, let's focus on building this amazing DSP processing thing and and we'll get to the features later um and i kind of took the opposite approach because i'm not a developer myself so i first kind of really honed honed it in on thinking about like how i want it to sound and what are the features going to be and how it's going to look and only then i kind of started developing it so it's uh kind of the I guess uh, the the way the way I build plugins kind of really um, is different than than a lot of the other companies. I think, but that makes sense though because if you're if you don't know what the end game is, it seems like you could paint yourself into a corner in the development side of it, and then have to rework and spend a lot of extra time and delay release because you weren't setting it up for success. That's a weird way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think it, it it comes from like, like the the question is who is the person who is like behind the plugins and making uh, like making them, and I think me not being a, a developer um, really changed, you know, the obviously like the <laughs> uh, look and feel and and the sound of the plugins. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that there's like a, a downside to this approach where a lot of times, you know, um, I kind of take for granted uh, or not take for granted, but like I think about sound in, in in a similar way uh, of like what's already out there. You know what I mean? So like I know how, you know, the other plugins are. Uh, and I know, you know, what I like and what I don't like, and I try and make something that I like, but it's not like, it's not like an engineering, uh, like a um, programming perspective where like the sky's the limit. You can like open a blank canvas and build whatever you want. And I think one of the good examples to that is um, with the Flamingo verb, actually. Um, You know how like when you twist the time, there's um it moves between irs so um it moves from like a really room sound roomy sound to to uh spring sound to a plate sound to a hall sound and uh i had that idea but i didn't know you can you can blend between them um oh okay like i thought of it as not continuous like you would you would move the knob and then it would jump to the other IR. And when I presented it to uh, David, the programmer that I work with, um, he said, oh, you know, we can, you know, it'd be cool. We can, we can blend the the IRs and, uh, and, and make it continuous. And I never knew that existed because I've never seen any design like it or like heard any design like it. So yeah, those kind of things Blow, blow my mind still like a lot of times 
uh, there's like all these options where you're like, oh, you could do that. Like, that's insane. <laughs> I, I didn't know yeah. you could do that. But that, but that's <laughs> the beauty of the you coming from the perspective of how would I use this as an engineer? Or how do I think my, you know, my customers might use this? And then the developer coming in and going, okay, I, you live in a world that I don't live in. So I'm coming at this with a fresh set of eyes and right. thinking of things that you might not think of because we tend to think in what we know. And, uh, and it sounds like you guys have a great relationship that he feels comfortable making suggestions to you and and you guys really work well together. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, yeah, it's all these like little things where um, sometimes I'll think, you know, something would be a lot of development that would take like months and months. And, and he's like, oh, no, that's like the easiest thing ever. And then it, sometimes it, it it's the opposite way, too. Like, I'll think something's really easy. And then he'll say, like, no, that's like, that's going to take us months to develop. So, right. I, I've been doing this for like a year now, and, and I still don't really have a, you know, a, a good understanding on the, you know, the things that take more time and less time. I think it's similar to engineering as well where like a lot of times you get a comment from a client where be like can you just like i don't know i'm trying to think of an example but maybe like replace the reverb and you're like well the reverb's on like six different elements so it's <laughs> right it's mix and it's going to take me a few hours to to get this done, you know. So. Oh yeah. Well, before I I started working as an audio engineer, I I went up to a studio in in uh, Denver when I was living in Colorado Springs to record a couple songs, and I brought uh, naively brought a floor tom with me, and uh, and and the engineer who ended up being the the guy who really taught me more about en any engineering that I would have learned anywhere else. Uh, he he's he looked at the drum and he goes, "What'd you bring that for?" And I said, well, I wanted to put in a couple of, of really big drum accents. And he goes, and you brought that? <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, well, what, like, give me an example. What are you thinking? And I said, okay, you know that song, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler? And he goes, yeah. I said, you know those like really big toms? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, that's what I want. And he goes, do you have $100,000? Because you're not getting it with that. <laughs> it, it's It's something, I mean, obviously now we can do that really easily. Right, but, but back in 1991, or you know, whenever it was, uh, certainly was not the case, and and it's amazing how the tech has grown. But my knowledge base now, I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I was that stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you 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 live and learn. Um, we've we've all been there. Like, um, I think one of the like a really funny story that I have. Uh, kind of similar to that is um, the first time I recorded uh, uh, like a, a rock band. Um, I was I was assisting and then the engineer caught the flu and I had to do his job. Ooh. Sorry. And um, it was like in a mid medium sized uh, studio and I knew how to do the technical stuff, but I really didn't know what I was doing in terms of like, you know, picking mics or like doing any anything that's like other than just hitting record and making sure that it's going to the ADAT because that's what we use. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Um, 
So making sure that it's been recorded on ADAT. And and then um, I remember the guitar player walking in. It was like guitar day. And uh, I set up uh, whatever, like a, a setup for him. And he was playing this like heavy uh, rock distortion guitar part. And then he did he did one take and then i was like oh that was that was great do you want to move on to the next part and then he's like no we're going to let's duplicate that Duh. and i was like why <laughs> he's like he's like uh well you know i want to i want it to sound uh duplicated and then he's like wait you you've never duplicated a, an audio like a, a guitar track and i was like no why why would you do that and i i thought to myself like that's just dumb like it sounded like a good take like why you're like amateur <laughs> okay he was nice he was like okay check this out pan the first one to the left and then put the part that i'm doing now on the right and you'll hear it and then yeah. did that and i was like oh <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's like parenting, you know, there's really no guidebook or it's not like when you have a kid, you've, you've graduated from parenting school and you know what you're doing. It's a lot of stuff. You just you kind of figure it out as you go. I mean, the ideal situation is you work with a, a, a couple of different engineers or or you, you know, uh, you're with somebody for a while and um, you you learn all those things and then they shadow you when you do your first few sessions or whatever. But it doesn't always work that nicely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It's pretty so, funny. One thing I think is really amazing, because I didn't realize you'd only been doing this for a year, is you've got quite a number of products out. You really developed them quickly. Yeah, so that's that's part of the part of my kind of strategy is to release I try to release a plugin every month. Mm -hmm. Um and I have various reasons to why, but I just think it's, again, like it's really similar to my approach to music making. And some people would not agree with me, but I feel like there's a lot. Uh, th okay, there's a few things. First of all, um, I really believe in, in like um, the initial kind of first, like, the first time you hear a song, that's the most important part. And the first time you record a song, that's the most most important take. And, you know, um, that kind of initial magic. And I try to incorporate that in plugin making, as weird as it, it sounds as well, because I feel like um, if if there's too much time between the idea and the execution, you know, you, you lose your... your uh, your goal and you, you lose that kind of early approach that you have with, uh, with, with the idea. And a lot of times, like I, I'm actually experiencing it right now as, uh, there's, there's a plugin. It's going to be like a tape emulation that we're working on. We had some kind of, <clears throat> kind of a few technical issues with it. And, uh, and now it's been like, I would say like, three weeks late to to be released. And now I'm starting to have second thoughts about like all these different sound elements in it. And I was like, wait, that's right. Like, should, should I change this? Should I change that? And um, I just, I feel like um, it's usually the best when you just 
put it out there as fresh as it can be. And then people feel that excitement that it's like new and exciting. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's my approach. Um, and then the other side of it as well is like, I think that we live in a, in a day and age where um, there's such a big influx in, in everything, but like in, in content and in, in products. And um, I feel like, you know, things have a much shorter uh, shelf life. So especially the, the things that I work on, I'm not trying to invent the wheel here. So I feel like it has a, a shorter lifespan than, you know, what was conceived in the past. So, right. Yeah. I, I understand that. And, and I, I, I think, you know, the most important thing is that what you put out, you're happy with, because if you're not happy with it, you know, that the people aren't going to be happy with it, you know, but it's also so easy to overthink anything these days because we have yeah. so many options available to us. I mean, you could do an endless amount of things to this tape emulator, but at the end of the day, your first mix is usually the best one. And then when you start tweaking things, it you, starts getting questionable. You lose a little sonic quality, then you work harder to get it back. And now you're, you're further off. You know, you can talk yourself out of a good product very easily. Exactly. And again, like I've, I've experienced it in the studio so many times working with artists, like I feel like the most talented artists I've ever worked with are the people that kind of took that uh, initial magic of, you know, writing a song and like a few days later being in the studio or producing a song and straight out like, you know, let's 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 produce it. Let's record it. Let's mix it. Let's get it out of the door. Um, that's where the real magic that I've experienced at least uh, exists. And it's like where you kind of manage to capture a certain point in time and lock it into a song. And then it's, it's hopefully it can last a lifetime. Um, yeah. The, the projects that kind of didn't really end up working so well, I mean, it's not like, it's not a rule or anything, but, but like, eight times out of 10, uh, the projects that, you know, usually didn't really work out, uh, commercially and didn't really work out in terms of how people received it were the ones that were like sitting on the shelf for like two years, yeah, you know? Right. Um, and they were like, Hey, do you still have that, you know, that mix session? It's been like six or eight months, but we still have like a few comments and, you know, you nipple with it and it's like the magic's gone. There's no other way to explain it. Like it's it's like trying to add fresh clay to clay that's already been hardened. Yeah. You know, it just it, it it's really hard to pick up and, and get that energy that you had for it when you were first working on it. Um I, I used to do a, an Aerosmith podcast where we were going through every Aerosmith song that they ever recorded. And there were some songs that I just felt like they didn't even know each other when they were working on their individual parts. And other ones where I would tell my co-hosts, like, I feel like they're all in the studio recording at the same time. They're looking at each other across the room. They've got smiles and eye contact. Like, I feel a real unity in this right. music. And you can really tell the difference as a listener. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's an audio engineer. There's only so much you can do to save a song. It's got to the it. It's got to be there. 
And then, you know, like what's another interesting um, thing to mention here is like with all the, the crazy technology and, and all the things that you could do with, with songs these days, um, you know, most of the people, even young people, like even my son, who's like six years old, he loves listening to the Beatles. And I didn't, it's, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> honestly, I, I didn't try to push him to, to like the Beatles or anything. Like I'll, I'll be, I, I'll happily play him, I don't know, like Post Malone or Doja Cat or whatever. <laughs> um, no issue with that. But he just read, like, gravitates towards that and i feel like most people on planet earth uh like some sort of old music or another like it could be aerosmith or i'm not saying like they're super old but but mm. you, you know what i mean like there's these, these like timeless pieces of music yeah uh, um and when you when you think about it most of those were done without a click track they were done at the heat of the moment because that was the only way to do things. Because if you record on tape too many times, it's 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 gone. Yeah. Um, and studio time was expensive, and and all these different things. Um, and those are the ones that are pretty much timeless. Like, I think that I don't know, like "One Love" from Bob Marley will forever be a song that's relevant. Um. And their recording of it is pretty much like perfect. I mean, it sound it doesn't sound modern, but it it, it sounds great. Um, yeah. And my point is that like, I feel like all these like shiny objects of uh, of like, oh, I can auto tune and I can fix the vocals five times and I can comp the vocals and we can record it in my house and then in your house and then send the files and do all these crazy things. Um, <clears throat> all these kind of things, they're great. I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're bad. I'm not trying to be like an old grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> old man um, yells at cloud. Yeah, exactly. But, but, the, <laughs> but I think that there's like, there is like a point where you need to think about it and say like, you know, uh, where, where is the like magic of the song? Like with all these like different things. And, um, why is why is it that these old songs get to live forever and and if you compare it to different arts it it's not necessarily always like that like right compared to i had a, a tv exec say this he said music people are lucky because if you hit gold like if you get to a point where where a song is like amazing and and lives forever then it lives forever but with right. tv it's never that like yeah. the only thing that like okay like i like watching seinfeld but i don't think my kids will want to watch seinfeld that's mm -hmm. not like i don't think that's a thing maybe i'm wrong but like it's a point to think about like it only works yeah. with me it's true I, I mean i think maybe paintings can have that that timeless also but yeah you're right and i think music connects with us in a way that nothing else really does and, you know, with with shows like Seinfeld, I mean, you're talking comedy. So comedy is hit and miss with people, especially generational. You know, a lot yeah. of jokes that were on sitcoms do not land very well in today's society. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, I think part of what is attractive about those older songs is that they weren't perfect. 
you could tell yeah. everybody wasn't exactly together and it's 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 more human sounding everything now is so shifted into place and perfected and auto-tuned and things that i don't know i don't i don't find it as uh as enjoyable because it doesn't feel human it yeah. feels assembled yeah no 100 percent. that's uh, it's so true and it, it's funny that we go that to that route with music because again like you it's 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 almost like the opposite of making sense because like you're trying to touch someone's like emotions you're trying to express yourself and yeah. and you're doing that by over like by recording 90 takes of your voice that doesn't <laughs> like you know what i mean right yeah no you're absolutely right um, it's it's a weird i mean and, and even just in the audio engineering world i mean we went from analog to digital and now we're trying to recreate analog and do it digitally and yeah. uh and i find that just fascinating because we did lose something i think when we when we shifted music did sound colder for a while 100% yeah yeah but thanks to guys like you who are giving us these wonderful tools to make things sound much better and much smoother. I, I tell you that that uh, flamingo verb is my go to reverb now, and wow. uh, I'm just using it on my first project. But I I love it. It's, it's smooth. It has just a wonderful tail to it, and um, yeah, I, I really dig it. And like I said, it looks great on my screen. I'm I'm happy to have something that kind of visually stands out, and makes me pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I've got all the links in the show notes for you guys, the uh, the YouTube channel, all the social medias, and the Safari Pedals website. You've got some interesting combinations because you've got all the pedals are available individually, and then you've got a mini bundle, and then you've got the entire bundle. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just try and, and find a way to suit everyone's, you know, wants and needs in terms of, of the plugins. Um, I try and, and kind of market it as something that's fun and not necessarily very expensive. Mm -hmm. So right now you can get the whole bundle for 110 bucks, which I think is a good deal. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and the individual pedals are, are very reasonably priced for, you know, what, what they can do. Uh, I, I think you've nailed a really good price point and, uh, and it's quality stuff. So you're getting the quality, you're not paying, uh, you know, 300 or $400 for every individual component and right. you're getting something that's going to work and, uh, has a great aesthetic to it. So no, you're, you're on the right track. I love what you've created. And that's why I wanted to reach out to you in the first place. Thank you so much. I, I, I again, I really appreciate it. And, uh, it means a lot to me, you know, that people, uh, like yourself kind of relate to what I'm trying to put out and, and get a, a good experience from it. Cause at the end of the day, you know, that that's, um, a big part of why I'm doing it. And it's right. exciting to hear that, you know, people use it on their music and mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, create stuff with it. So, well, thanks. I don't know that I'm doing that. I hope so, but <laughs> You know, the, the first thing is, part you're doing for sure. The second part is is subjective. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, fortunately, right now, I'm just using it on drum tracks for the band. So that uh, that comes down to whether the track was any good or not. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that you guys are kind of the unsung heroes of what music is for the listener. Uh, 
we can we can write the melodies we can write the rhythms we can write killer bass lines but you guys help us make it sound good and that's the that's the most important part because if you you could write a great piece of music but if it sounds like shit no one's going to listen to it right. so you know without you doing what you do we couldn't do what we do as well so thank you very much for everything that you put into it cuz you really do make a difference for us yeah i appreciate it thanks yeah my pleasure well thank you for coming on the show we will, uh, like I said, guys, check out all the links in the show notes. Now, a quick note on Wednesday's show. Um, I'm really, I, I've already recorded it, and I'm really kind of torn on how I feel about the album that I reviewed. Uh, it's Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime number one. Um, there is a spoiler alert fence on that episode if you want to get into what actually happened in the story. Uh, since I have recorded that episode, I found out a little more and for those of you who do listen past the spoiler fence, I'll just say I'm even less happy than I was when I recorded the episode, but I still love the album. It's fucking amazing. So join us on Wednesday for that. Check out all the links in the show notes. Noam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was it was really fun talking, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing it go live. All right. Well, it will be live this Saturday, and uh, thank you. We'll have you back on one of these days again. All right. I would cool. love to. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>